We're going to read the Word of God in the Old Testament and two passages from the Old Testament. First of all, in the book of Exodus and in chapter number 19. Exodus chapter number 19 and at the beginning of that chapter. Exodus 19 and at verse number 1. Exodus 19, verse 1. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. And there Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians until I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so on, I return to Exodus, sorry, Isaiah chapter 43, and at the beginning of that chapter, Isaiah 43 and at verse 1, and the verses that we have in this chapter, they are verses that are commonly understood as speaking of the new Exodus of the people of God, uh, which comes through the work of Christ in the New Testament. So we have read the words of the Lord in regard to the Exodus the original Exodus, and here we are words uh, which speak to the people of God in the promised new Exodus. And verse number one. But now, says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honoured, and I love you, I give men to return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together, and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this, and show us the former things, let them bring their witnesses to prove them, to prove them right, and let them hear and say this true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. Amen. And so on, may God bless us these readings from his word. We're not going to sing to God's praise and sing psalms. It's Psalm number 66, and a verse number 8, and it's on page 83 of the Psalm book. Psalm 66, at verse number 8. O peoples, praise our God, this praise and song repeat. He has preserved our soul alive from slipping, kept our feet. And we'll sing from the verse mark 8 to the verse mark 17 to God's praise. Oh, people's praise are
turn together now in God's Word in the New Testament to 1 Peter and to chapter 2, and we're going to read at verse number 9. 1 Peter 2 and at verse number 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so on. And as we read these verses, it, it is obvious that we are continuing from our service in the morning where we looked at the earlier verses and there will be some overlap as we look at these verses and also some overlap in what we will have to say about these verses this evening. And you know that in the evenings we have been looking at what the Bible says to us and how the Bible describes a church that is healthy. And we're doing so to think of the vision of the church and of the gospel and to see the ways in which the Bible describes the church with its people that are healthy and to see the way in which the Bible highlights also where there are health issues in Christ's church and where these issues must be addressed if the church is going to fulfill its purpose here in the world. And we have looked at various passages to see the the purpose of the church and and the healthy body of the church uh, and looked at the the ways in which we all have our different gifts as those who are called by God to be part of his church. And we uh, look at this passage here and we saw in the morning the way in which Peter changes the whole picture that we have in this letter at verse number four. He's, He's talking about the child the infant longing for pure spiritual milk in in the beginning of this chapter. It's all about the personal relationship and all about our experience of the Word of God and how that Word of God, which is the living Word, is the Word which gives life to us. But then at verse 4, he changes the metaphor completely. He moves away from that personal aspect of experience and he comes to think of the metaphor of the building or the church as a building. And the emphasis in that way moves from your personal salvation and mine to think of the church as a body of people and how that church is to be seen in the world and how that church is to behave in the world. And he is doing so in a helpful way because we ourselves so often overemphasize, as I said in the morning, overemphasize our personal salvation and the personal salvation of other people. And because of that overemphasis, we underemphasize the importance of the church and the life of the church because the Bible makes it clear that conversion makes us part of Christ's church. As John Callum said, anyone who knows God as Father knows church as mother and in that sense there's such a close relationship and a a, a union in the sense that one thing is the other side of of, of the coin so that if we're converted we are in Christ's church if we are in Christ's church we are converted we are part of what we have here part of the building so tonight we want to to look at these verses and to read into these verses by thinking of the healthy church, its ministry and its witness. I want to think, of, first of all, of participation. And we are overlapping here with uh, part of what we said in the morning because participation in this building project of God is so vitally important that we understand how it works and that in that participation we understand, first of all, that there is a priority. Unless there is this priority in place, then nothing else can happen. And that priority, that, that prerequisite, that, that which, which gives the church its very basis and its nature, is nothing less than the Son of God. And that's what we saw in verse number four. As you come to him, 
and living stone. And here is Christ brought before us as the, the stone prepared by God here in this world by sending him into this world, by, by shaping and forming and preparing him every step of the way until he finished the work. And in the words of the letter to the Hebrews, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. And so we have the stone which is Christ, prepared by God through his life here in this world, and then being perfectly suited he is seated at God's right hand. And we saw the, the remarkable way in which the stone is a living stone. And the supernatural uh, that we have with regard to this stone, that there is something about it that is different to every other stone. It is a, a living stone. And when we read the Old Testament, we, we see the way in which, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, for example, the way in which, God the Lord is a rock and his way is perfect. We see David in the same way in 2 Samuel speaking of the God of Israel, the rock of Israel said to me. So there is in their naming Christ as the stone, there is that sense of identifying him in all that God is in the Old Testament. He is the rock, he is the stone. And we, we read also in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul latching on to that very same thing with regard to the people of the Exodus who, from, who, who drank the water that, that flowed from the rock that God provided for them. They drank from that same water, they drank from that rock, and that rock is Christ. And so everything that Peter is saying here connects with the God of the Old Testament which he is doing in this, the whole of this letter, and the very fact that the stone is a living stone connects us with that image that we have of a people coming down through the wilderness with nothing to drink and the water flowing from Christ through that rock so that they drink from it. A, an image that brings before us the very way in which we are dependent upon Christ, the Christ himself who said, and with regard to him, John said in John chapter 7, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And God has chosen him. He is precious. And God has made him the cornerstone of the building project, which is his own church. And from him and because of him will grow up the holy temple of God, the people of God, to be the church of Christ in the world. You, says Paul, you are God's building. The same Paul says, you will grow up into a holy temple in the Lord. Everything is about the life that comes from the first stone in the building, the cornerstone, the foundation stone that God puts in place, chosen and perfect and prepared and ready to begin. The architect has done his work well. The builder has brought the stone to its perfect condition and it rests ready for God to build his church. And it is to that Jesus, to that Son of God, to that living Christ from whom flows that, that river of living water, it is from him that Sinners come, coming to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, precious. Coming to him as living stones, prepared by God, with the life that there is in Christ Jesus. And every way in which we are stones who are dead in our sins, and God reaches out to us and brings us to come to Christ in the way that the Old Testament people came to the temple. So we, we come to Christ and we come to the presence of God in Christ and he himself is the temple, he himself is the sacrifice, he himself is the life that flows because of the sacrifice. We come to him 
and we come as living stones. And our coming to him is in itself an evidence of our of us being already the living stones. And as we have heard down through the generations of, of, of the church and our, the privileges of the fellowship of the church, that no one ever sought the Lord but the person who already had found him or had him. And they are coming to Christ as, a living, sto- as living stones to be built up as a spiritual house. A house that is filled with the Spirit of God. And there is a particular marvel in individual Christian believers, individual sinners having the Spirit of God in their own hearts and being in, in Paul's words to the church in Corinth, they themselves being the temple of God and in the danger of defiling that temple. But how much more interesting and marvelous that it's not all about the presence of the Spirit of God in you personally, but that here it is about the house that God is building, about the stones that he is putting in place to build his church in the world, living stones. And in that symbolic way, as soon as we're placed on the foundation, such as the life-giving power of the foundation stone, that life fills our hearts and fills our lives. We breathe his life as the children of God. We breathe his life together. And the very fact that we breathe the life of the one Spirit of God that is sent to us by the one Christ of God makes us part of the building project of God, of the spiritual house where the people of God are living. And tonight we want to, to reinforce that whole idea of, of participating in something that's more significant than ourselves personally, and something that's as big as the church of Christ in the world, and realizing that unless we capture that, our church will be will disintegrate in the sense that we will be individuals who have no real connection with each other and will live lives in our personal faith to the extent that we will come to think that we can, we can be Christians and not be part of the church. How far removed from the ideal, from the, the picture that the Lord gives to us in his word. We cannot be a Christian believer and not be part of Christ's church. They go hand in hand, participation. That tonight we would all be part of what God is doing as the great architect of this building. The participation. Secondly, we want to think of possession. We know that Paul tells the Corinthians you're not your own. You are bought with a price. And as soon as we be, believe in the Lord Jesus, as soon as we become the living stones, we are God's possession. And we see that, first of all, in the verses that we read in Isaiah 43, we see that in the sense of this new exodus. Here are a people and God is speaking to them. And he's telling them, you're going to, to Babylon because of your rebellion. Your enemies are going to come and destroy this building that was filled with my presence. It's going to be put on fire and you're going to go to Babylon. But remember this, that the day will come when there will be a new exodus. When I will take you out of there and do so because at the beginning of verse 9, you are a chosen race. And that's exactly what God said to the people of God in Isaiah chapter 43. I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel. You are my witnesses, my servant whom I have chosen. And what does he promise to them? 
He promises to them that in this new exodus that he will provide water for them in the wilderness. The water that comes as the the life from Christ himself. I will provide water for you in the wilderness to give drink to my chosen people. And all of these words, they speak to the people in Babylon, but tonight they're speaking about us here. Because whatever happened when the people of God came from Babylon to Jerusalem, it was symbolic of what God does when he comes to bring us from the place of lostness back to himself, to bring about this this exodus from the place of our sin and entrance into the promised land of his covenant, grace and salvation. And that bringing us to himself, that chosen race, makes us a royal priesthood. What happened in the first exodus now becomes a living reality in the church of Christ because of the living stones that God is placing in it. A holy royal priesthood and a holy nation. We belong to the king. We are his possession. We are not our own. We are his possession and we are set apart by him. He has taken us from, from, from the quarry of, of lostness in the world. He has quarried us out of where we were. He has done so with his own power and grace and brought us to himself, set us apart to make us holy. And he has done that so that we might be a people for his own possession. He has redeemed us by his grace. He has purchased us for himself. He has created us as a people that will follow him and be his witnesses. And he does so as he has brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and redeemed them from there. So now, he redeems us and brings us to himself as his chosen people and his possession. A people acquired by considerable effort is simply what it means. What is the considerable effort? It's the considerable effort of the living stone that is the Son of God the considerable effort that he passed through and brought upon himself and endured when he purchased our salvation. We are God's possession because we have been bought with a price. And so tonight when we come into Christ's church, as soon as we come to believe in the Lord, we cease to be our own. We cease to belong to ourselves as we cease to belong to this world and the God of this world. There is a line, there is a point and at that point certain things are left behind and we become the possession of God. And there is, there is nothing quite like the possession of God that, that we read of in Exodus chapter 19 special people over all the people of the earth that we will be, says God, if we obey his voice and keep his covenant, the possession of God. Who do you belong to tonight? It's easy to say as we worship God that we belong to him and that we want to belong to him. But who do we belong to when we go home? Who do we belong to tomorrow? As soon as we leave here, do we revert to belonging to ourselves and to doing with ourselves as we please until we 
come back perhaps on, 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 on pre-meeting night or, or on the following Lord's Day and we switch back to, to being God's possession. That's so contrary and so against the very possession that the Bible speaks of. We are God's possession every day and so our lives are given up and given over to him so that as surely as we are purchased by the blood of Christ, by his self-sacrifice, so we ourselves deny ourselves, sacrifice ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. We are his possession because of that new exodus. And when Jesus, on the Mount of Transfiguration, in Luke chapter 9, when he is there with, with, with the disciples and Moses and Elijah and they're talking about the exodus which he is going to accomplish at Jerusalem. It's all there. When I see Jesus on the cross, it, it fulfills more than a Passover lamb in Egypt. It fulfills everything that God purposed to do to set us free so that we become his the possession. And that possession brings about the marvellous change that Peter refers to here when he quotes these words in verse number 10. It's worth going to the prophecy of Hosea when you go home and reading chapter 1 and chapter 2 and see the way in which these words fit into the story of the people of God. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. God was speaking to, to those who had rebelled against him. He said to Hosea, go and marry a wife of Hurdom, because the people of God have committed Hurdom against me and rebelling against me. So here is this family and they are there representing what, what is happening in the relationship between God and his people. And so Hosea goes and he marries Gomer. And when she conceives and when she bears a daughter, God said to her, call her name Lohruama. The Hebrew word that is that means not received mercy. Color Lorohama, because she's going to represent the people that have turned their backs on me, that no longer have mercy, that God is no longer with them in his steadfast love. And she went and bore a son, and go and call him Lo Ami, not my people. I am saying to you. You will cease to be my people. My covenant you with is coming to an end. My relationship with you terminates here because of your behavior. And when we come to think of, of God's possession of his people that he brings into his church in the world, let's realize where we have come from. And all of us tonight, because of our rebellion against God, we are lo Rohama, we don't have mercy. We are lo Ami, we are not the people of God. That's where a rebellion has taken us. And for God to take possession of us, there is a reversal of that. There is a rest restoration of the, of the covenant relationship. And it's by God's preparing of his people and bringing them to himself. And in, in Hosea chapter 2, that's what God does. I will allure her. I will draw her to myself. The wonder of the God who said, Lord, no mercy. Lord, no people. I will allure her. I will speak kindly to her. And the change takes place in the heart of God. And God brings this people back to himself and he marries them to himself I will betroth you to me forever he takes them from 
where they were to be married to him. A new covenant relationship, possession. And when they come back to him, I will say to Loami, not to my people, you are my people. I will say to Lord Ohama, no mercy. I will have mercy on Lord Ohama. And then what happens? Those who are restored, God will say to them, I am your God. Coming from Loami, not my people, to God and his love saying, I am your God. And the immediate response is, they shall say, you are my God. You are my people, says God. They shall say, you are my God. And in that moment, there is a kind of reunion, but it's certainly a restoration. And it's in that place where there is God's possession of his people, that he has given his son to secure their release from from their exile away from him. And now, in his grace, he draws them to himself. And tonight, if we are living stones in in the the church of Jesus and built on the living stone, which which is Jesus himself, then we will understand that God comes to us and draws us to himself. The wonder of his redeeming love. That it comes like, like an ocean that, that simply washes away everything that is with us, that will stop us, that keeps us back from being his people. And in that moment, we are his. And we come from the sense of distance to the sense of the most intimate closeness in the hands of God, in the arms of God, in the heart of God. We are the people of God and he is our God, the possession. Do we understand tonight that drawing of God in the gospel through which he he takes the dead stones from wherever they are and brings them into his own church to build them up along with all of the other living stones. The possession. And finally, there is the purpose. And when we think of the purpose, there are many ways in which we can describe the purpose of the church. But when we see the words that Peter uses here, we want to think of the purpose of the church first of all in its worship and then in its witness. And these two elements in why we are here and why we are built together help us to understand what we should be doing as the children of God in this world. And we see, going back to verse 5, we see that you you yourselves, like living stones, are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. They are that holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. And once more, let's not think of of spiritual as being something that's mystical that we can't understand. It's sacrifices that are offered through the Holy Spirit that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And these sacrifices, by their very nature, because of the whole idea of sacrifice, they draw our attention to what happens at the house of God, what happens in the worship of God. And so in the Old Testament, the the priest comes and takes the sacrifice from the one who is offering it, brings it into the presence of God. The sacrifice goes into the presence of God. There it is offered. And there it is accepted by God. And the priest comes back out from there. Sacrifices are for the presence of God. And when we think of the, of the role of the church, it is 
perhaps the first part of its function and its priority is that it lives life in the worship of God. And the temple life in the days of Solomon, it was hectic. The, the precincts were filled with, with people coming. They, they understood the meaning of, of what the temple was. And tonight we need to rediscover something of that in the sense of realizing that when we come to worship God, it's full of meaning and it's full of life. It's full of what God has done. And the more that we do worship him, the more we give our hearts to him in worship, in praise, and in adoration. And that's why, for example, as we read in the book of Hebrews in chapter 13, the writer is encouraging the people of God to continually offer the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of their lips, to acknowledge the name of God, to sing praise in our psalms, to praise God in, in our prayers and to adore him in our prayers. To worship God and in hearing what God the Lord has to say to us. Engaging with the God whose possession we are and concerning whom we are lovingly committing ourselves that there we are in worshipping God. And interestingly, Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 4 that that worship of God that is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ includes the givings of the church or the gifts of the church. And Epaphroditus came with the gift of the Philippians and came to Paul with that. And Paul was giving thanks for it, that it was a sacrifice that was acceptable and pleasing to God. And so the, the, the worship that, with which we come to, to serve God embraces all that we give to God of our hearts. It embraces our givings to him as those who are committed to the support and work of the gospel. Our whole lives are given over to him in his worship. And we need to rediscover that. We simply cannot Blame COVID forever. We are the people of God. And whatever COVID has done, we need to realize that it has been harmful in more ways than, than the harm it has done to our bodies. It has harmed the life of this building project of God, of his church in the world. And harmed it in such a way that the church has lost sight in many ways, of the importance of the worship of the gathered people of God. And if, if COVID has done that to us, we need another Brexit to break us away from, from the way in which we have so been caught up with the church being, being scattered when we should be together in the worship of God. That's what we're here for. And not to do it individually. We, we cannot do it individually in the way that Peter speaks of. We cannot do it individually in the way that God requires. It's the body of people. The living stones standing together on the rock which is Christ. And collectively, with harmony and with unison, worshipping God and singing the praises of God. The importance of our worship. Let's encourage one another in that and let's encourage others to, to embrace that so that the church will be a church which lives in dependence upon the worship of God as he has called us so to do. The purpose of worship. And there is along with that the purpose of witness. that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. There's a message of good news. 
And the good news is that God has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. That's the kind of exodus that has taken place in the day of our conversion. We see Jesus going to, to Egypt in order to be protected in the days of Herod, so that it might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Jesus himself experienced that exodus. And we experience it as those who are summoned by God with all the authority of his voice, summoned into his presence to stand before him, called out of that darkness into the marvel of his light. And the marvel of his light is such that it compares with the marvel of the light of creation. Where, where Paul says that the God who said, let there be light, is the same God who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Our calling out of darkness is by the creative word of God that brings us into the light. The priority stone, Jesus, is the light of the world. Once you were darkness, says Paul, now you are light in the Lord. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. You proclaim these excellencies. The things that show God not only to be supernatural, but, but to be able to do the astonishing thing. And we can go from the, the cross at Calvary where, where Isaiah speaks and where God speaks in Isaiah 52 with regard to the Son going to the cross at Calvary. As many were astonished at you because your, your face was so marred away from looking like a human being. The astonishment of the cross to the astonishment that you and I who are dead are brought alive. And when we bring these two astonishing things together, God is saying to us, and Peter is saying to, to, to his hearers here, we have to tell others about such astonishing things and such excellent things. Why, do we, why should we be doing that? Because God is building the superstructure. And he wants the living stones who are already in the building, he wants them to work, to look for the other stones that are going to complete the building, to look at finding them where they will found themselves and in a mysterious way to be part of the preparatory work of God in working in the lives of others by speaking the gospel into their lives, by speaking it into their homes, by doing so wherever we share life with them, proclaiming the good news of the astonishing things that God has done for us. And doing so, remembering always that we cannot give people the life that we have. But that impossibility should not be our excuse for fulfilling our duty to be the witnesses of God. You are my witnesses, we read in Isaiah 43, the people of the, of the new Exodus. And Jesus said to the disciples in Acts chapter 1, after the, the resurrection, you shall be my witnesses, beginning at Jerusalem, and to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus said to the disciples, Go therefore and to make disciples of all nations, teaching them all of the things that I have commanded you. What a message and what a purpose. And if in so many ways together we are, we are failing and fulfilling our purpose of worship, we are failing and fulfilling our purpose of witnessing to others of working for God, of serving God, 
of coming into his presence as, as the priests that offer the worship and coming out from there and offering the salvation to those who are still lost so that as living stones we may see other living stones brought into Christ's church. And we may see the, the building that is the church of Christ, the physical building in which we meet to worship God, that we may see it filled with more living people who join in this great superstructure of God and to delight in worshipping him and to delight in serving him. May God help us to understand where we are, who we are, and what we are here for, and how uplifting that will be for us all to work together as God has prepared and God has called us so to do. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we rejoice in your word and the riches of it and the marvellous way in which everything is so bound together in your purposes and plans and that your whole purpose can be traced so wonderfully through the whole of the Bible so that tonight we can give thanks to you for your salvation, for your redemption and for your word and help us to love all of these things and help us to love you in return and help us to love those who are still not tasted that you are gracious. So help us, we pray, and hear our prayer and forgive us for we ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Our closing psalm is Psalm number 48 at verse number 10 from Scottish Psalter. It's on page 273. Psalm 48, page 273, and we're singing at verse number 10. O Lord, according to thy name, through all the earths thy praise, and thy right hand, O Lord, is full of righteousness always. From verse 10 to the end of the psalm, to God's praise. O Lord, according to Stand for the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.